Good morning, this is Peter Davison, the Fifth Doctor, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for December 5th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Holiday Chip <laughs> We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Yes, sir. You are right. We are in the holiday season. We want to wish all of our listeners who are celebrating Hanukkah starting on Thursday a happy Hanukkah. Because, of course, Hanukkah starts on Thursday. You know what that means, Steve? Good food. That's what it means. Good food. And we always celebrate good food. Yeah, the calendar says it's the 25th day of Kislev. So there you go. That's right. You, you remember John Stewart? He was trying to explain to Stephen Gobert when Hanukkah starts. And of course, he was like, well, it's the 25th. And uh, Gobert goes, of December? No, Kislev. He goes, when does that start? He goes, well, um, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorite explanations of the, the different calendars around the world. So happy Hanukkah to everyone who celebrates. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, you have gone to see a movie. I am incredible incredibly intrigued about this is called dream scenario and it's featuring nicholas cage somebody that i really don't like in movies but this seems like one of those movies that i i would really enjoy i i think you would i i think that this is you know what do we know about nicholas cage films they, they're a little bizarre mm -hmm. and people like and there's a whole group of people that love nicholas cage films and i don't think any person that likes nicholas cage films is going to be disappointed um, our movie is Dream Scenario. He is a professor. He's taken his wife's name. He seems to be kind of lost with his kids. He's just kind of a you know a middle-aged guy that is competent, but yeah, hasn't published. And he's seeing his students do well in any number of things. And all of a sudden, a spotlight comes on him. And the spotlight is, hey, you're showing up in everybody's dreams. Whoa. So there's your there's your um, beginning part of it. And uh, he goes from being an obscure person in life to a spotlight showing on him to basically, um, well, things don't always turn out the way that you want them. All of a sudden, the spotlight shows so many other parts of your life. Hmm. And I think there's a really, there's a depth to this story. And the the depth could be you know do you when the spotlight is shown on you do you stay true to yourself hmm. and um i there, there's a lot more to it there's a lot more to this onion than just that but you know there's a lot of change that happens to his character throughout this film and the question you'll ask maybe when you're ending it is um is this life better hmm. is is this life better but I, I do think this is an incredible film, um, 60 out of 100 uh, for it. You know, it's not going to be an award-winning film, but certainly uh, I think there's a good story, and I understand why you picked this as an actor to play. 
And you wrote on social media that this one's kind of stuck with you since you watched it. This is a philosophical conversation that we think about stardom and fame and the results of those things a lot. Yes, this is um, a film that you should leave and continue to kind of think about, hmm. kind of um, allow to kind of work your brain a little bit. Because I, I think that he made a lot of decisions early, as a lot of fathers do, a lot of men do. And then at the uh, some point in life, you're being asked, you know, is this the right path for for you? And that comes later on. That may be me throwing this on. But there's he is being challenged, you know, as a person who is competent but never moved to that next level. What is going on? And then choices are made. And they hurt his life. They hurt his life. Hmm. And um, anyway, I, I I recommend this to, if you're looking for a thinking person's film, this is a good one to go find out. Interesting. Steve, I, I'm not the only person who got to watch something. Somebody got to go to TARDIS in Chicago, this um, convention, and watch a special presentation with the director. Special is the best word that I have here. You know, Chicago TARDIS, our Chicago Doctor Who convention is my utopia. It is the place that I would live if I could just have all of my friends and all of the actors and producers from Doctor Who in my area all the time, I would live there. The three-day weekend of Chicago TARDIS is special, but this year was extra, extra, extra special because the director of the new episode, the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who episode, her name is Rachel Talalay. She was in town. She was on stage and she introduced the new episode of Doctor Who to me and seven or 800 of my closest friends. This was an experience. It was such a privilege. It was such a privilege to be in that room with this caring director who was giving us this experience of this new episode. It, it was amazing. So if uh, our listener wants to, to find this, they would find this on the Disney Plus app, right? That's right. Doctor Who is now on Disney Plus. As of last week, Disney Plus is now the new home of the new episodes of Doctor Who and the Star Beast, which was the episode that started it all, was on display for us. And we, we as a community, we ate it up. We, we were quiet in the quiet parts. We were laughing in the laughing parts. And Rachel Talalay, the director, absolutely loved being there with us. She doesn't get to see that fan reaction very often. And uh, it was special. Well, and especially if you're, you're streaming it, you're usually not in a large audience. Mm -hmm. So she got to feel the energy. Obviously she has a, a group of people who are very likely to enjoy this. Right. But what did we learn about this, this show? And what did we learn about this? Uh, the, the director? She is fantastic her sheer joy is so adorable she took to cbc radio right after and she gave an interview about the sheer 
amount of love that we were giving to her and her adoration of not only this fandom, but this whole idea of Doctor Who being this humanity on display. The Doctor is an alien. The Doctor is not a human. But the humanity that they can bring to the storytelling. And Russell T. Davies, who's taken over the series again, he's a huge fan and he's a master storyteller. He's able to give us these emotional beats to show us a, a mirror of our humanity through this alien and the representation of all of the different types of people and, and the people who were in the audience really were reflected in the representation on screen. There's a wheelchair user in this episode who, um, spoilers has weapons in her wheelchair that she wields against the aliens and the wheelchair users in the audience were uh, just enjoying that representation the trans community is a big part of this episode there is an actor who is transgender and she shines in this episode and all of our transgender friends in the audience were just beaming to see that representation on screen. We as a community love this show and the, the opportunity to see it together was something that I'm going to hold on to forever. You got to see the, the show, the Starbeats, which is episode one. You also got to see wild blue yonder, which is episode two. Yeah. Since we didn't get to talk about this last week, I've seen two episodes of Dr. Who because they're coming out every Saturday for the next few weeks here. So wild blue yonder episode two premiered on Disney plus on December 2nd. And this one, this one's a horror episode. This is a scary spaceship where the doctor and Donna are literally on the edge of the universe. They're looking out the spaceship windows and seeing no stars because it's the edge of the universe. And and the conversation that the doctor has telling us that you humans, you imagine that the universe is everything. You imagine that there is no end to it, but everything has to end. There's an end to the universe and they're standing right on the edge and seeing some creatures that are different from what we think of as creatures here in the universe. So we have two episodes so far. Do you like the direction this season is going? I love the direction that this season is going. The last few seasons, uh, a different showrunner was in charge, and the storytelling was weak, in my opinion. I did not like the storytelling the last few years of Doctor Who. I love the storytelling here. I love the focus on the, the important things in life, the emotional parts of caring and efficacy and all of the important things that Doctor Who is bringing up in 2023. Well, Steve, you also were blessed with another streaming service. Tell us a little bit about Maximum Effort Channel and the new show Discontinued. I can, I can hear I can hear your cynicism in your voice, even though you're trying as hard as you can not to be cynical, Chip. Yes, the Maximum Effort <laughs> It's Go the ahead. holiday season, Steve. It's the holiday season. 
generous thank you chip the maximum effort channel is ryan reynolds new streaming channel maximum effort is his production company and ryan reynolds has put together a streaming channel a fast service with commercials to give the world a little bit of joy a little bit of happiness he actually has a segment where he dresses up in pajamas and reads a bedtime story so that you can fall asleep to the the dulcet tones of ryan reynolds voice reading you a bedtime story this is a very interesting play for a, such an interesting person he has put together a show called discontinued on that maximum effort channel and he has tapped bruce campbell to be the host of this program it's a docu-series about lost and forgotten pieces of pop culture it's all about nostalgia. It's all about looking back and thinking about the future of how we are going to do things. And so what do we learn from it? Is, is it, is it a good series? Is it, do you have to pay for maximum effort channel? What, what's going on? No, this is a fast service. It is a free ad supported television service. So it, it is free. It's available through all sorts of other sources. Uh, so you can find it. It did take me a little while to find my way to get there. There's, there's freebie and Tubi and Sling TV. I used Sling TV to find my stream of maximum effort, but yours, you can use one of your other services. Is this a good show? Is a is an interesting question. I honestly was disappointed by it. Okay. I, Bruce, Bruce Campbell's charisma really does not shine here. He's definitely reading from a cue card and you can tell that his heart isn't in it the same way that some of his acting roles are. The project was created and directed by Brian Volk Weiss, who is the brains behind the toys that made us and the movies that made us, which are some of my favorite documentary series. In fact, they might be the best docu-series in the 21st century so far. But this this has something, there's something missing to this. This is not I Love the 80s from VH1, which was a great look at nostalgia of the 80s. This is not the toys that made us. This is a lesser production on a lesser channel. Episode one features some nostalgia about Furbies, the Blackberry, the TV show, the legends of the hidden temple and the star Wars galactic star cruiser that, that LARPing hotel that, uh, was a little bit out of my price range and I never actually made it to, and is already defunct. I, I will keep watching this and see if, if these great creatives can put together something great. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it, book it, book it. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week and thinking and being careful and being happy and being successful is the topic for this week. Chip, you read Reframe Your Brain, the user interface for happiness and success. This was just recently published in 2023 by Scott Adams. Yes, and we should mention that Scott Adams got in a lot of trouble. A lot of, a lot of um, newspapers canceled his strip, mm -hmm. and he dedicates part of his book to those canceling newspapers. He goes, because it gave him more time to write. 
So we might know Scott Adams as the guy behind Dilbert. That's the comic yes. strip from the newspaper. He's also uh, an interesting guy who's who's got training in hypnotism, right? It helped him in writing the book on Win Bigley, which was uh, basically an exploration of how Trump got elected to uh, presidency. And you cannot help but understand the power of words when you're listening to Scott Adams. So one of the things that he will say, hypnotism doesn't help you um, manipulate people, I'm sorry, control people, but it can help take your ideas for good or bad, and it can help people understand them more powerfully. Bringing your own ideas to the front and keeping in mind what you want and how you desire things is, is really the, the secret of hypnotism. So it can help you quit smoking because you, you know it's bad for you and you want to quit smoking. But it may not help you stop eating. Hmm. So because you may want to eat more than, you know. So there, there are things that it can, uh, it may have more success than others. But anyway, this is a book about taking ideas and then reframing them. So this is, it sounds to me like this is a tool that hypnotists use. Let's start off with the last chapter of this book, Steve. So the last chapter of the book is a whole list of things that you can reframe. So the first part of the book is let's explore um, an idea. So an idea could be, the usual frame would be manage your time. So that would be one that would be uh, put out there because, you know, Steve, we all should manage our time better. Mm -hmm. If we manage our time better, we get more done, we'd exercise more any number of things. Well, that doesn't necessarily work for us over time. It, it can work in short periods of time. But so, but what we can do is be aware of our energy. So we may know that writing in the morning is very good for us. We can do that. Or maybe exercising in the morning is something we, we want to do. Um, but in the afternoon, we get tired. And maybe that's not the time that we need to spend our time doing that. So becoming aware of yourself and then helping take something that a desired result and then finding a way of describing that becomes very important because it becomes palatable. It becomes uh, part of the system that is you. Reframing your thinking is, is very intriguing to me. I am also intrigued by the idea uh, that this is an operating system for lasting happiness. How to frame your thinking to find that that ultimate goal of all of those things that you think are important correct and, and that is one of the things that he comes to terms with he goes life may not be an operating system or it may not be a virtual world it may not be or it might a be. simulation <laughs> maybe it is right mm -hmm. but it, if but if you treat it that way mm -hmm. it helps you come to terms with something like oh i I, you know, this, my weight ebbs and flows because this is what I do. Well, that is understanding what the simulation is giving you. So now the point is to figure out some way to hack that, to allow yourself to have the desired results. So how do I hack that? Well, I figure out a way that um, I, I can do some exercise. Well, I may not be able to, the exercise I, I'm doing, it may not be skydiving, 
or climbing up the, the peaks of mountains with my hands. Um, maybe it's walking. And maybe I decide that instead of taking an elevator, I walk up the stairs or I walk down the stairs. Um, maybe I determine that, um, you know, every time I think I'm hungry, I drink a glass of water to determine whether I'm really hungry. You know, is it truth? You know, maybe you are hungry. But, you know, the point is, is it allows your body time to kind of, you know, work that way through. And the delay may really tell you whether you're hungry or not. Allowing your human brain to function on a deep level like this in order to operate your human body. I love that separation of you and your body that you've presented there. And the idea of changing your mind to change who you are. Yeah. So one of the things that I really came to terms with that he articulates so well is that systems work. If that systems work, if you run a system in your life, and as you systemize your life, your chances of success get better. So if you're a person in sales, you need to meet more people. Well, how do you do that? Well, that means that every day during this period of time, this is the activity I need to do. Or maybe it's uh, I need to lose weight. And one of the ways of doing that, or I'm sorry, I need to be healthier, could be to exercise. And every day at this time, this is what I do. Um, allowing, you know, this is, I know I need this amount of sleep. So I need to go to bed at this time in order to increase the likelihood of this. Scott Adams is really a, an incredibly gifted person at articulating some of the challenges that we all have in life and then finding ways and tools that may or may not have truth to them. That's the whole point also, is they may not be true in the sense of objectively true, but they help hack our minds, how will you observe reality to give us the best chance for uh, success in these. In addition to that, when you can start seeing the world around you as, as, as things manipulating you, like when I watch news programs, they are making me angry. Or I don't understand what, why other people would think differently than I do. And recognizing that other people are looking at you with the same bizarreness. Hmm. Like, oh, maybe they don't want to be chip. Maybe they do. You never know. And so just recognizing kind of, you know, what's going to empathy, all those things that we want to be, um, we want to have in society recognizing that we all are um, people struggling at times to find the system to fit us best. And I like one of your other pieces that you pulled out here. If you think the universe is acting against you, what if you think instead that the universe owes you? What? How would you change your day thinking a different way? Isn't that fascinating that the, that the universe owes you? Well, that certainly is a very selfish way of looking at it, doesn't it? Very much. That is a very self-centered philosophy. But self-centered is not necessarily going to act against anybody else. This thinking does not act against anybody else, but it is you acting toward what your goals are. Well, and, and think about, you know, when you're on an airplane, and they go through all the emergency 
situations. They could have happened. They're like, hey, like, uh, make sure you have your seatbelt on. Let's show you how to put it on. But, you know, they always say, you know, if we have a drop in oxygen, you put your mask on first and then you help another person because you cannot help a drowning person when you're drowning. Mm -hmm. So take care of yourself, take care of your needs, and then you can, you're in better shape to expand to helping others. Self-centered is not the same as self-ish for sure. Sure. The idea that changing only 10%, if only 10% of the reframes work for you, your life will never be the same. I love that idea of you can't change everything. You cannot take a full 180 on your life, but what if you could change 10%? Yeah. So Sean Adams spends a lot of time helping you think about how to improve your particular situation. And not everything that works for him is going to work for you. But, you know, you only need a little bit of it to make a big difference. Because if you can control some part of your life, that may allow you the freedom to allow the rest of the of, of life to come at you in any number of ways. You have things that you can control. And then you have you know, the things of life that you certainly can't control. You know, people get in car accidents. People have get sick. People um, have loved ones pass away. Bad things happen to people just because we have existence. But also good things happen to people. Good things. And you, you, you know, don't have to feel like you deserve it. It just happened. You happen to be at the right place at the right time. You met the right people. And, you know, how lucky are you? Yeah. That life has a randomness that's part of it or a chance part of it. But, you know, you can increase your luck by being an active participant and using some tools that typically, um, you know, stinking thinking doesn't help, where you can come in and you can reframe your life um, to allow you the opportunity to be happier, to uh, feel more in control, to um, allow you to enjoy your existence much more and help those around you who are in the same issues. And that's where we pass it on. When we are living happy and thinking happy, we can pass that on to others who are who are really struggling and and having that moment is something that uh, that I enjoy in my life for sure. And we're all struggling. And the beautiful part about it is mentorship comes in and you are the um Obi-Wan Kenobi to the uh, Luke Skywalkers of the world. Um, but at other times, you know, maybe you're the Luke Skywalker to the other Obi-Wan Kenobis. Hmm. Yeah. Mentor. Yeah. You are helping those who may have less skill at identifying some of the challenges they have um, while other people are helping you. And uh, anyway, this is a really lovely book. I certainly would recommend it to anyone who is, going out to do some exercising and want to listen to um, a way of, of looking at life. If anyone's struggling out there, that's most of us, and really wants to you know, explore maybe some, some opportunities to improve how we, we view our, our circumstances, this is a good book for that. It's all about perspective. My, one of my favorite words. That's Reframe Your Brain, uh, the user interface for happiness and success, published in 2023 by Scott Adams. Grow with it. 
brings you to our scroll with it. You know, Chip, we meet so many interesting people from all over, all over the planet. And some of them are in Durham, North Carolina, where where you find interesting people. Of course, Steve. This is the super exciting time. Michelle Needham is the curator of the Stranger Times exhibit at the Museum of Durham History, and she's here today to explain all about, wow, what a what a fun thing she's put together here. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. So this Stranger Times exhibit opened on September 8th, 2023, exploring the Duffer Brothers' childhood in Durham and their foray into filmmaking, as well as the similarities between the show Stranger Things and our real lives with this pandemic thing that we went through and looking at all of the experiences that our teenagers are looking at in the last few years. Yes, and it's as complicated as you just made it sound. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the so let's, let's start, right? <laughs> so let's start with the, with the basics. Okay. Tell us about what is the Museum of Durham History. Well, the Museum of Durham History was an idea that started in two thousand four. Um, we have an incredible history with civil rights. Um, it's a very progressive place. Um, it's the home of Duke University and a lot of other universities. And so um, a lot of the people that have lived there wanted to preserve some of the history because we've had some exceptional uh, leaders and people that have come through. And so in 2013, we had an abandoned bus station um, that they converted into a very tiny museum. It's oh. um, so small that we don't collect artifacts. We just collect stories and uh, we are a museum beyond walls in essence. So we, borrow walls from places we um have a digital presence and we kind of just like like to tell the stories wherever we possibly can in the museum and outside of the museum wow i'm so intrigued i need to visit this this museum without walls that's yes. a fascinating concept for me mm -hmm. so in in our exhibit um has some influence from netflix's stranger things and that was, a, of course, an incredible hit. So tell us about the show's connection to Durham, North Carolina. Well, the Duffer brothers, Matt and Ross Duffer, um, grew up in Durham. They went to a private school in, uh, uh, called Duke School, which is very learning, project-based school, where they were very nurtured and they loved uh, their love of film. Uh, filmmaking was kind of developed. And then they went to a large, very large public school, um, Jordan High School, which uh, became the first desegregated uh, high school in Durham County. They took that experience and created some incredible characters. And so and that, that brings us to this exhibition, Stranger yeah. Times, which of course is a, a play on Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. And it, it explores the impact of COVID-19 on the communities and the young people. Why is the show helpful in exploring this historic time? The concept behind Stranger Things is a supernatural kidnapping. And the character uh, disappears into something they call the upside down, which is just like a reverse dystopian reality. Um, when you think about COVID-19, that whole experience for most of us was just a dystopian reality for us as well. It's just like everything got flipped upside down. And so for me, the connection between COVID-19 and the upside down is kind of just like, once you see that connection of being upside down, it's just kind of like, wow, they're the same in essence. 
looking at our reality through that lens of the opposite of our reality is a, a really interesting way to think through that historic time. And you found young people to interview for this exhibition. Where, where did you find them? In developing the exhibit, we put a call out to students to see if they were interested in sharing their artistic expression of their experience, whether it was in through writing or uh, artwork, photography. And uh, some of the people who decided that they wanted to participate, we asked them if they wanted to interview. So we ended up having eight students ranging from middle school to a uh, freshman in college. Most of the students, though, were kind of at the same age as the characters in Stranger Things. So they were middle schoolers when the pandemic hit and we got their experience as to, okay, they left school and didn't come back. And when they returned to school, they were a freshman or sophomore in high school. Hmm. Wow. The term lost generation was used to describe these students. Tell us about that label. Lost generation came from Two of the students that were interviewed, they were John Holt Franklin uh, Youth Scholars. And a project that they did was to create a video that kind of summarized COVID-19 from their point of view. It was separate to the exhibit. One student was in high school. The other was in middle school at the time. I wouldn't necessarily call them a lost generation. At first, before starting this exhibit, I would have thought that they were lost in the sense that they they missed out on so many developmental milestones, so much academic learning. But after after interviewing the students, after talking to people just randomly, I think that these students are more deferred. I think it's a okay. deferred generation. Okay. I've found that they are just so very insightful and so self-aware. Um, they've gained so much insight into themselves and, and the country, their communities. But they still have a lot to learn in terms of how to relate to each other. And I think that's the part that is deferred. They will eventually be able to relate to people. I mean, they're, they're part of society, but they've gained a lot from the experience. This is yeah, something that we've talked about at the middle school level for this entire period since the pandemic and, and questioning whether they lost or whether they deferred is still up for grabs in our school. There's so many things that they think differently because mm -hmm. of this experience, because of that stranger times where we all together decided what was best for society. Some of them are really struggling with, with some of those challenges that they experienced. Did the students offer ideas that would help with those challenges? They did. We didn't get to that point. It was more of a time of reflection and trying to understand the changes that they made. I think that part of what was most pronounced from the students is that they just wanted to share and they wanted to speak and they wanted to be heard and they wanted to be taken seriously. And I think there was a podcast that um, students in the Jordan Innovation Lab did, some high school students, and they didn't want any more lip service to mental health. They didn't want the corporate approach to mental health. They wanted actual individual attention. And I think this exhibit has shown me that it's really important to just talk and, and figure out where each individual is. How interesting. Now you had also a number of interviews with administrators, but the Durham mayor, 
who is now the former mayor um, during the COVID lockdowns, stated, we will always debate whether we did the right things during the pandemic. That's kind of a paraphrase. Tell us about the tough decisions the leaders made during the COVID years. After listening and talking to them, I think the most difficult decision really boils down to serving the general, the larger mass versus the outliers in a sense. What's the greater good and how kind of having to sacrifice some of the other people, other experiences um, for a larger uh, amount of people. Uh, The toughest decisions was really, okay, should we shut down? Whose interests are best served? Majority of the kids need to stay home. Majority of society needs to stay home at the expense of the kids who really needed to be outside of their environments, outside with people. For whether it's a matter of their home lives weren't great or just personally for them own, for their own selves that they learn better or need to be around people because they were extroverts and they need that energy of other people. So it's kind of a balancing act between whose interests are most important, whose needs needs to be served, and who can then catch up and be served at a later date. And, you know, the teachers were also experiencing those same challenges. And tell us about what we learned from them. The teachers, I actually went in there not even really thinking about the teachers. I was thinking of them as like kind of like an afterthought as to what you experienced. What did you see? And really, the teachers are fascinating to me. I kept hearing about the black box. I was like, what's the black box? They're like, yeah, well, when you're teaching to a blank screen and nobody's paying attention to you, how do you still be engaging? How do you keep your morale up when you're speaking to nobody and you can't force kids to turn on their screens? I mean, I, to me, that'd be just demoralizing. How do you then balance the issues of dealing with some child whose parent is sick and needs your support, yet you still have your own family to deal with and your own kids to deal with. We put so much on teachers that we forget that they themselves have, you know, their own lives and their own values. We want them to be at school, but if you're a teacher that doesn't think so, you got to like compartmentalize your ideas for your job. There's so much that the teachers had to go through and it's not surprising why so many left the profession. I didn't call it the black box. I called it the void. I was shouting uh, into the void for those those sessions where those students were not available. They were not able to engage, even if their bodies were there, their minds were elsewhere, and trying to make those connections, which are so vital to the education system, to make those connections with my students I, that's where that lost generation comes for me is I, I lost those kids. I will not have an opportunity to reconnect with those kids on some level. And that, that is so frustrating as an educator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I came to understand how important that connection is to a lot of teachers, how, what a motivation it is to teach is the connection that you have with your students um, that keeps you going every day and without it. I mean, what do you do if you're just... What am I doing? Yeah. Shouting into the void. Right. Hoping hoping that somebody's hearing me. Mm -hmm. Right. Which which brings us to that next part is, you know, we're at the, let's just say we're at the tail end of the pandemic, although, you know, COVID's still around. see. But so how does the exhibition explore ideas that may help support these young people over the coming years? This 
exhibit is not intended to provide solutions. I, my nursing background is such that you take a scientific model. The first thing you do is you assess. And early intervention is so important. So the pandemic officially ended in March 2020. 2023. I talked to these kids in June. The exhibit went up in September. And a lot of people kind of gave me some resistance about doing this as an, as an exhibit. Is this really history? But it is history. These are the same kids we're going to come back in 10 years to ask them what their experiences was. And they won't remember. Um, I think it's really important. My intention with the exhibit is for people to come in, listen and see the quotes and then start to reflect on their own experiences to parents to come and talk with their kids and see, was this your experience? Because it's not until you have that dialogue and you have that understanding, can some of these kids get the attention that they actually do need. And it's not on a corporate grand scale. It's an individual thing. Parents need to listen to their kids. Principals need to listen to their staff. It's an individual level. Workers, I mean, everybody needs to be heard in some in some way or another. And it's not until we are able to hear the patterns over and over again, can you really come up with any kind of solution? That's my opinion. That's fantastic. That that is that is what a history museum should use its time and its resources to show us this snapshot of a moment and what it means for those individuals, for those people. And so that we don't forget that that's the hardest part of history for me is how often we're, we're mired in today and we forget that other people have gone through similar situations and we can learn from those people. The exhibition was created in a partnership with Jordan Innovation Lab Tell us about this organization. Jordan Innovation Lab is actually a class at Jordan High School. Um, Mr. Stuart Albright, who's part of the history department, he has taken on part of the latter years of his career to teach students how to do podcasts and interview. It's kind of a digital humanities course, and it's something that's sort of spreading throughout the educational system. So there are different schools that have different innovation labs. Um, it's kind of the new direction that schools are going and a different way to record history and to, you know, reach and connect with people. And so he had students, um, his innovation lab students had interviewed theater students and they put together a video that is being shown. He had a creative pod class of his entire class that they discussed it. And they have a podcast series where they had a mental health a three-part mental health series where it was really excellent, where a couple of students were just talking and sharing about their experiences with mental health and podcasts, as, in addition to other themes. But it's a, I think that this whole digital humanities movement uh, and incorporating it into a high school curriculum is really important and significant and great direction. This this would be a, a great division from how we learned in the past, mm. like the industrial age way of learning. <laughs> to how we are going to be learning in the future. Yeah, my class is called Innovative Technology, and we talk about this all the time. The, the industrial revolution that created the public schools is far over. It is definitely over. And the way people learn and the way education works needs to shift to the future. And and that sounds like a, a fantastic way to look at things is, is how do we know, how do we learn and uh, innovate from there? So where can our listeners find more about this exhibit, the Museum of Durham History and, and the work that you're doing? Well, you can visit us at modh.org. 
or you can come visit us at 500 West Main Street in Durham, North Carolina. The uh, gazebo outside is full of banners, and then you can come inside and, and check out our exhibit. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for this exhibit. I, I'm enthralled by the idea of history, especially from our young people's perspective. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We want to thank our guest, Michelle Needham, for coming in and giving us that other perspective about how we are thinking and how we are doing what we do. I hope everybody out there is thinking and doing what they do this week, heading into that holiday season with all of the challenges that are a part of your life. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on all of the social medias. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Holiday Chip Hessenblum. We'll see you in the future. We'll